The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 72 today. We're going through some of the Psalms for a little bit. Then in the month of August, we'll be in the book of Jonah. And then we'll get back to Ephesians in September. It'll be good to do a little break from Ephesians together. I wish I could have been here last Sunday for Youth Camp Sunday, but we were gone. We were out of town on vacation in Missouri, which was good. I'm glad we were able to do that as a family. But I did miss last Sunday. I saw a picture of all the students up in the choir loft who were there. It was a good time together being at youth camp with the students. Today's uh, 4th of July, if you don't know. I really expected to see more red, white, and blue on you people. I thought I'd be saturated with it. You guys disappoint me a little bit with that. Uh, July 4th is always one of my favorite days of the year. I love, I love what we celebrate today. We celebrate our country. We celebrate independence. We celebrate America as a whole. And we usually do that by getting together with family and friends, having a cookout, whatever it might be uh, for you. But I know I always really enjoy uh, this day. And it really would be sad if we didn't celebrate the freedoms and the advantages that we have as Americans, because we do have a ton of them. And we really have been blessed uh, to be a part of, of this nation and the things that come along with it. But one of the things that we realize, I hope, as Christians who live in this country, is that this country is not the answer to the problem. America is not the answer to the big problem that mankind faces. Though, like I said, our form of government, our form of financial stewardship, our form of law that we have in this country, while it is very beneficial in a lot of ways, it just simply is not perfect. It's not. It just simply is not the answer. And some people want to think it is, but it isn't. And so we are left with this question of what is the answer? If it's, if it's not this form of government, is it some other form of government? Is it, is it some other way of being led? What is the answer for humanity and where can we find it? Now, I hope that those who are members of this church know this answer. The problem that we face is sin. And the answer to our sin is, is Jesus. He's the only answer. And what we're going to see today in Psalm 72, I think, is an answer to this question, because what we see God do in scripture is God actually establishes for his chosen people, for Israel, a theocracy. That's what he establishes when he establishes his form of government for his people. It's one where God leads the people. God is the ruler, but there is a king and the king's job is to lead according to God's laws and God's statutes and not their own laws and their own statutes but to lead according to what God has established and God has placed. So it is a people who is led by God, but again, has a king over them who follows God's laws and God's statutes. But even in this, if you read the Old Testament, if you look at Israel, you still see within it the stain of sin just continually throughout their history. It happens, it seems, at every, every turn. I mean, even with King David, we see sin disrupt. We see the dangers of sin. I mean, the great King David, 
right? That the greatest king that Israel would have, we still see him succumb to, to sin. And so quickly we realize, well, he's not the answer. And today in the Psalm that we're going to see, it's, it's actually a prayer of King David, but it's written by Solomon, his, his son. And so even when Solomon comes to the throne, as Solomon becomes in, into the picture, we see that he's not the answer either. Even though he's of the line of David, he still is not perfect. He has a lot of sin in his life. And then when Solomon passes, it seems like everything falls apart. And Israel just goes into chaos. And so the great king that Israel is looking for isn't found in David and it's not found in Solomon. And so this psalm that we have, Psalm 72, is a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that we today have the privilege of looking to and understanding that Jesus Christ himself actually has fulfilled this psalm completely. And he has been given authority to fulfill this psalm completely. Yes, we we see some things in David We see some things even in Solomon where they fulfill some of this psalm, but we'll see as we go through it together that they simply just do not fulfill the whole thing. And so I think it's a good psalm for us this morning on this day, July 4th, to be reminded of the answer that we so desperately need is found in Christ. It's found in him. And so let's look at Psalm 72 together. I want to read all of it and then we'll break it down into sections. Beginning in verse one, it says, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land on the tops of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. This psalm really is found at the close of the second book of Psalms. I don't know if you know, but the the Psalms is broken up into four books. This is the end of the second book, and it really is a, a good bookend for the second book, but also for the 
for the first book of Psalm. And as I said, it's written by Solomon, but it's a prayer of King David, and it's a prayer that David would pray for his son as his son is about to become king. We see this in the first section, verses one through four. One of the things that David is praying for is he's praying that the king, the new king, would have perfect judgment, that there would be perfect judgment from this king. And in verse one, we see the prayer for the king here. He says, for justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. David is praying that his son would be a just king, but also a king that is filled with righteousness. This is something that we would desperately want from our leaders, who's perfect in justice, that we never have to doubt that. We never have to doubt that what they are doing is actually the perfectly just thing to do. And the reason we know it is just is because that person, that leader, is also perfectly righteous. And so there's no selfish ambition in it. There's nothing along those lines, but just perfect justice and perfect righteousness. When David prays here, he goes on to say this actually in another way. He talks about the king and the royal son. And we actually see that Solomon fulfills this because Solomon was, uh, was put as king before David died. And so at the same time, Solomon found himself being king, but also the son of the king. Now again, remember, this is a messianic psalm and we'll get to that in a moment. But here we see Solomon doing this, both king and the royal son. And the prayer is for him to be just and full of righteousness. What this should hearken our minds back to, what we should think about, I think is what is really being said here. And this is why I think this is a good bookend, not just for the second book of Psalm, but also the first one. Is I think what is being asked of here, what David is asking for, is he is asking for the king to be the man that Psalm 1 says needs to happen. I want to read for you Psalm 1. I know we're focusing on Psalm 72, but I think it's important for us to remember Psalm 1 because, again, I think this is what David is asking for. Psalm 1 said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, we've studied this psalm together before. And what we realize as we look at Psalm 1 is there's only one man who has ever fulfilled this psalm. It's a psalm that maybe we strive to fulfill as Christians, and we should strive to be a person of Psalm 1. But only the Lord Jesus Christ has ever fulfilled Psalm 1. He he is the only one who has ever completed this. We in Psalm 1 are the wicked. We are the shaft that is blown away. Why? Because we are sinners. We sit in a congregation of sinners. That is what we are, but not Jesus. And what we see David praying here for his son is he is praying that his son will be this king, will be the king of Psalm 1. Who, who, who meditates on the law of the Lord, who is not selfish in any of his ways. Again, is perfectly righteous, is perfectly just, that his judgments would be perfect and cast out on all people, not just the rich people, but also the poor people. And you'll notice in this psalm as I read it, I hope you caught this, that over and over again, the poor and the needy are mentioned. There's special mention here. 
there's reason for that. It's because in most kingdoms, the poor have no rights at all. The poor are not cared for. The needy are just thought of people who are, you know, just somebody who takes up your time. They take up your time. The needy are always needing something. And they're just so frustrating. But yet in this psalm, this prayer that David is praying for his son, he continually is talking about the poor and the needy. In verse three, David prays for the prosperity of the land and the shalom of the land, even in everything that it yields. He says, let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. This past week, being in Missouri, it didn't take us very long. Once we crossed the Mississippi River and you get into St. Louis, all of a sudden there's these things called hills. I've never even seen them in my life living here, except for at Munson. There's one, there's one little hill there at Munson. All of a sudden, my vehicle was struggling, right? getting up this hill, and it, even my vehicle, what is going on here? I'm used to going just straight. But I noticed something in these hills. I noticed no crops anywhere. Real quick, I, to, I, I told my wife, I said, I haven't seen a cornfield. I haven't seen a bean field. I haven't seen a wheat field. I haven't seen anything anywhere. Why not? I mean, I, there's all this green everywhere, but I see no crops anywhere. Well, there's a reason. Those hills were made of rock which will not produce crop. Wouldn't work that way. You had to get into the plains over by the Mississippi River a little closer, where there they were producing crop. What David is asking here, what he's praying, he's saying, let even the mountains bear prosperity. The mountains that wouldn't produce anything of any good, let even those bear prosperity in the land of this king. Then he goes on saying the prayers for this king to crush the oppressor. Right, verse four, may he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Is that not what we so desire? Is that not what we desire? I mean, even as Americans, that's one of the things that we have took pride in for many, many years as we've stood as a nation is what do we do? We try to go to other countries and we try to help the needy. We try to crush the oppressor. We try to take what we have learned and we want to get it there. Why? Because a lot of people, again, think that's the answer. That's going to solve the problems in the Middle East is if we can go and get democracy there. That will solve everything. Well, we realize that's not the case, but I think we have our right motives. We want to see the oppressor crushed. And we want to see that in our lives personally as well. We don't, we don't want to have these people coming in at us and, and hurting us and barraging us, but what we realize very quickly as individuals is that we just simply can't seem to crush these oppressors on our own, can we? We can't seem to overcome it. And oftentimes, we find ourselves to be the oppressor to ourselves. Paul would say it this way, the things I don't want to do, I do. Things I should do, I, I don't do. Paul realized within himself that he was his own oppressor, that he couldn't overcome. David is praying that this king would overcome the oppressor. David himself knew what it was, what it meant to crush the oppressor. You remember he stood before Goliath. He slung the stone that crushed the oppressor of Israel. He stood on top of that enemy and cut his head off with his own sword. So David in his own life did this a lot. He would go in and he would fight. Now Solomon himself, he wouldn't have a kingdom that was much of going and fighting. He actually had a kingdom that was very peaceful because of his father, because of David, because of all that David had done. 
But yet we still see within Israel all of David's battles, even the battles that Solomon would face, the few that he would face, still Israel would never experience true peace. There was never true peace in the land. Even though David prays this prayer, they would not experience it. Well, as we get to verses five through seven, David's prayer continues and he's praying for endless fruit under the king. Uh, We see, look at verse five, may they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. David is praying that this kingdom will last forever, that the nations will fear this king, that they will fall before this king. But not just that, it's not just a fear. I love, I love verse six. It's one of my favorite verses in this passage. But he says, may he be like the rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. I love mowing my grass. It's something that's just enjoyable. It's one of those jobs that when you get done, you can look and say, look, I just accomplished this. It's like done. You get this gratification. And it's even better when you know a rain is coming and you squeak it in just in time. It is just one of the best feelings in the world. You finish mowing, you get the mower back into the shed, you get in the house and the rain starts and it's just, you have this smell of rain and fresh cut grass and it really is a nice feeling. It's a great thing. David paints this picture for us that this is what the king is like to all of his people, to all the people that he rules over. He is like a rain that falls on the freshly mown grass like showers that water the earth. When the earth needs the water, it needs the rain. That is what this king is like. His people need him and he is there for them and he loves them and he cares for them. He is supplying them everything that they need. His splendor reigns over them. It's not just a fear thing. You are glorying in his glory. You are finding splendor in his splendor and that's what this king provides. This is the prayer that David asked for. He prays for righteousness and peace, that there will be no end of this ever. We see this also in Isaiah chapter nine, verse seven. It says of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And the prophet Isaiah speaks of this in the line of David. And again, we know that it's only Christ who fulfills this, who is in the line of David. But it is here in this section where we see in this psalm, this psalm cannot simply be talking about Solomon. This is David's last prayer, but we also know Solomon dies. I already said that. Solomon passes away and the nation falls apart. No more do people talk about King Solomon. We don't have his rule. We don't have his splendor. We don't have all of this all over all of the land. There is no peace and righteousness everywhere. And so there is no way that Solomon has fulfilled this psalm completely. And so we find ourselves again needing a better king. Turn to Psalm 2. I reference this psalm quite a bit. But again, I have to think David has this in his mind when he's talking about this king. In Psalm 2, verse 6 through 9, the psalm says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You would have to think that David, being doing all that he had done, experiencing all he experienced, the blessings of the Lord that came upon him, and now it's time for him to hand his kingdom over to his son, and he's looking at his son, you know, and he's, he's now praying for his son, that he has to be thinking about this psalm that he wrote in Psalm 2. You're my begotten son, right? Go and, and do these things. Ask of me, and the nations are your heritage. He's, he's giving his son, the nation. He's giving him all of, these, all of these things. But yet again, not just David, but Solomon falls short of what is said here in Psalm 2. He simply cannot be the king that has everything in his possession. He didn't break everything as a rod of iron or dash them into pieces. Why? Because he was broken. Solomon dies. So he just simply cannot be the king. This is what the people hoped for, though, with David. This is what they hoped for in his line and his lineage. And really, this is a warning, I think, to all the kings that, we, that have come after is that they should be serving the Lord first and foremost, not themselves. But yet all earthly kings fail in this. All earthly kings, all earthly leaders, all earthly rulers, whatever it is, they fail in this area. As they do not want to rule under the Lord's dominion, under the Lord's domain, they end up wanting to rule under their own. They want their own prestige, their own power, their own glory. We'll look at verses 8 through 11. Here we see the endless stretch of the king's kingdom. It says, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Here David prays for the stretch of the kingdom. And we do see that as Solomon ruled, he ruled the biggest part of the kingdom that Israel would have. He did have that glory, all, even all the way down into Egypt, that he ruled this. Kings we do see pay tribute to Solomon. But mostly, the reason they would pay tribute to him was so that they would let him, them live in their land and still have their own laws and their own rules. And so we do see Solomon receiving these gifts from these kings. So God had established King David. He had established Solomon. And he had blessed Israel through them. More and more, more than ever, we see this. Yet, there were still a lot of kings who did not bow to Solomon. There's still a lot of kings who would not obey the rule of God and of the land of Israel. Like I mentioned before, we see our land filled with this today. The rule and the reign of kings and governments. And they just never seem to be satisfied uh, when you study history, it's very interesting. You know, you, you study someone like Alexander the Great or some of, these, some of these people in Asia and different places and they would want to conquer this tribe and then that wasn't enough. Now I got to conquer this tribe. And now I got to conquer over here. And we, we see that with, with all governments, with all leaders. There's just never seems to be enough. We want to get more and more and more and more. But here we see as David prays for this king that the extension of this kingdom is everywhere, but it's not just beneficial to the king, it's actually beneficial for everybody. It's beneficial for all of his subjects. It's beneficial for all people if this king and this kingdom rules everywhere. This is one of the biggest complaints I hear oftentimes about America. Right? Ah, them politicians are just in it for themselves. 
They only care for the people who voted for them or whatever it might be. That's not how this king functions that David is praying for. This king benefits everybody, all people, rich, poor, no matter what, needy, well-off, this king's kingdom is what is best for all people. As we get to verses 12 through 14, it says, for he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper, he has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. David prays for this king to be a king of compassion, a king that is loving to everybody, but especially to the poor and to the helpless. These are the ones, as I said before, who are normally abandoned in the world. They're the ones who are normally shunned, who are, who are put aside, who are, who are just seen as a stumbling block as to where we are trying to get as a country or as a nation. But here, this king is called to love on them, to meet their needs, to save their lives. This is something that all kingdoms, all nations seem to fail at. But verse 14 speaks very highly of what this king views of these people who are oppressed and who are hurting. It says, precious is their blood in his sight. Oftentimes when we read scripture, we try to put ourselves into, into the passage and we try to see you know, where do we fit in these passages? And one of the struggles we have, I think, is we often try to say we're King David or we're Moses, you know, or we're these people and we're just simply not. When we put ourselves into this passage, into Psalm 72, this is where we fit, verses 12 through 14. We find ourselves as needy. We find ourselves as the poor. We find ourselves as those who seem to have no helper, we find ourselves in a position where we feel oppressed and we feel that violence seems to come our way all of the time. And we can't seem to dig out of that hole ourselves. And what we need is we need a, a king, we need a government, we need a leader, we need an authority who will show compassion on us because that is what we desperately need. It's interesting that it says their blood is precious in his sight because when I read that, I can't help but think about the intimacy and the care that is there, and my mind can't help but go to the fact that for those of us today who've been saved by the grace of God, the blood that we have pumping through our veins is the blood of the Son, the blood of Christ. And so when the king does look upon Tim, who is needy, who is poor, who is helpless, who cannot do anything for himself, yet when the king looks upon me, what he sees as he sees my precious blood. Why? Because it's the blood of his son. It's the blood of Jesus that runs through my veins. It's the blood of Jesus that has washed me and cleansed me from my sin. And this is how the king now sees me. And I am precious in his sight. And I am cared for in his sight. And the same goes for you if you have been saved by the grace of God. If you have, if you have trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and your salvation, this describes you. Yes, though you are oppressed. Yes, though you are hurting. Yes, though you are needy. And it seems like nobody cares about you. Know this. Your blood is precious in the sight of the king. And he is the one that matters. He is the one that matters because he is the one who crushes the oppressor. He is the one who lifts us up. He is the one that makes the mountains and the hills prosperous. 
in his reign. David begins to end his prayer. And in verse 15, he says, long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. As a result of the king's greatness, all the people love him. They pray for him. They serve him. It's interesting that when Jesus would teach us to pray, one of the things that he would tell us to do is to pray for his kingdom to come and your will be done. This, this is something that should be on the lips of every Christian daily. It's something that we should pray and to, to yearn for and to long for, praying, precious King, King Jesus, your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Why? Why? Because it's the best blessing for everybody. It is the greatest thing for everybody if that would happen, if you would just come and care for the oppressed, care for the poor, care for the needy. So we need to be faithful in praying that. I find it interesting in our area, when you start to talk about the Lord's Prayer, everybody starts to think you're Catholic. And for Baptists, that's a, that's a bad word. Catholic, that's a bad thing. No, actually, as Baptists, we're called to pray that prayer too. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is something that should be on, the, on, on our lips daily. We want your kingdom to come. Let this happen. Why? Because your goodness demands that this should happen, that it needs to happen. Well, David goes on in his prayer. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains, may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. With this king on the throne, there is no need anywhere. One of the biggest frustrations you might have with our country right now is how we seem to print money. Anybody have a problem with that? I mean, they're just giving out to everybody. People have a problem with that. But what our government is trying to do is they're actually trying to meet needs. That's what they're trying to do. Whether good or bad, that's what's trying to be done. I'm going to take the best position here and, and trust that there's goodness in what is happening. And I'm going to assume that that's what our leaders are doing. They're wanting to care for people who they think are hurting. They're wanting to, to meet these different needs. And so we have presidents and we have government leaders who talk about eradicating homelessness or making sure that everybody has a job, doing all these different things. Well, as a Christian, I hope that we understand, as Bible-believing Christians, as someone who hopefully reads your Bible often, you will know that there are verses in Scripture where Jesus says, the poor you will have with you always. We will never eradicate that stuff. We're never going to eradicate people being widowed. We can't do that. We cannot solve poverty. We cannot solve uh, people who are going hungry. It's just not something that's going to happen. Why? Because sin still runs rampant in this world. And that is a result of sin. It, it, just, it just happens. But yet what David is praying for of this king is that when this king is on the throne, when his kingdom is established, there will be no need anywhere. There will be no need for anything. There will be no hunger. There will be no pain. There will be no suffering. There will be none of that. We don't have to worry about that. And this is what David is praying for for Israel. 
that the fruit of the land would be everywhere, as I mentioned before, not on the mountains and the fields, that it would wave back and forth. I think, we take it, I think we take this for granted, living where we live. I hear a lot of people mock Monroe and stuff, but it's some of the most beautiful stuff you will see. Go drive through the, through the country that we live in on this side and watch the corn grow. It's beautiful to see. Or in the springtime when the winter weed is coming up and it's green. I mean, it is just so bright green. And then it starts to change over to that bright gold color that you know it's ready for harvest. That is a beautiful thing that we get to witness, that we get to be a part of, that we get to see, that we get to enjoy. There's a lot of people who don't get to see that. There's a lot of people in our world who go hungry. There's a lot of people in our world who don't have that privilege and that benefit. But yet when this king reigns that David is praying for, that won't be the case. Everybody is fed. Everybody is prosperous. Everybody is taken care of. And his people seek after him. The people seek after the king. Why? To be blessed. Because he deserves it. The king deserves our adoration. The king deserves our worship. And it's amazing because as David is praying this prayer, there is only one direction that he can go and he does it in verses 18 through 19. All of a sudden, David bursts out in worship to the God of Israel. It's the only place that he can go as he's thinking about this king who establishes everything, who covers everything, who abolishes the oppressor, who takes care of the poor, the needy. Look at David busts out into praise in verses 18 to 19. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. David recognizes the goodness of God. David recognizes his wondrous deeds. But it's interesting because he's praying for his son Solomon, but it's almost as if he realizes as he gets to this point, Solomon can't do this stuff. You alone, God. You alone are the one to be praised. You alone should your whole glory fill this earth. You alone can do this. And so because of this, hopefully we pray along with David this same prayer, that the whole earth would be filled with his glory. Why? Because that is what is best for this earth. That is what is best for this place. Well, as I told you at the beginning, I want to close with this. We know that this is a messianic psalm and it is Jesus who fulfills this. And so I want to prove this to you uh, real briefly this morning. When we talk about all power and authority, because that is what David prayed for, for this king, we see that Jesus is given all power and authority in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 where he says it himself before he ascends into heaven after his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He states to his disciples who are standing there, all authority on heaven and on earth have been given to me. He claims it. He claims his rightful position as king of all things. He says, all authority has been given to me. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38, and in many other places, we see Jesus, the true king, healing the poor caring for the helpless, healing the needy. In situations where leaders were like, what is going on here? What is happening here? Where Jesus would say things like, your sins are forgiven. You remember? And they would say, who can forgive sins? And Jesus would look at them and say, what do you think is easier for me to forgive his sins or to heal this guy? And then he goes on and he heals the guy. 
Why is this happening? Why, why do we have this in scripture? We have this because it proves that he is king. It proves that he is the king that we have been waiting for. As we read these Psalms all about the kings, it is him, it is Jesus. We see in Ephesians chapter one, verse three, that we've been studying together. We're told there that all blessings are found in him, in Jesus. In this Psalm, right, we're seeing all the blessings these blessings can only come from the true king, Jesus. In Hebrews 1.8, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that his reign is endless. Jesus is alive and well. We must not forget that as the church. He is alive. We do not need another savior. We do not need another king. Our king is perfectly well today. And he continues to reign. And we continue to serve him. In Hebrews chapter one, verse one through four, the writer of Hebrews again there tells us that his kingdom is of all things, speaking of Jesus, that all the kingdoms of the earth are actually his and they were actually created through him and by him and for him. In John three sixteen, one of the most popular verses, we teach our children this usually at a very young age, but we see that Jesus is the begotten son. He is the royal king, but he's also the royal son, the one that we need, that this psalm talked about at the very beginning. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. Solomon failed to be the royal son we needed, but Jesus does not. He is the royal son. He is the true king. And then lastly, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 through 11, we see the truth that all people will bow to him. There will be a time when every knee will bow before King Jesus. They might not want to do it, but they will be compelled to do it. And oftentimes when I used to think about that verse, I used to hear it as a kid, I used to hear it talked about, I used to think it would be very begrudgingly. I used to think that, yeah, those people, you know, who hated Jesus, they talked bad about God, they never trusted in him, they will be forced to kneel. That God will say, you know what, rascals, kneel now. And if they don't want to kneel, he'll go behind them and he'll kick their leg out from under them and he's going to force them to kneel. I don't think anymore that that's the picture here. I think that when all people see the glory of the king, the only thing they'll be able to do is kneel. That they will say, you are the king. But the problem is at that point, for those who haven't been saved by his grace, who haven't trusted in Jesus, it's too late. It's too late. Your praise and your adoration is for naught because your time has passed. We as a church have the privilege today to worship the king now, to praise him now, and on that day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses, it will not be a new thing for us. It'll be the same old, same old. We are still worshiping the same king we've been worshiping forever. It's just now we get to do it in his glory and his majesty for eternity. It will never get old. It'll never grow dull. Listen, students, if you're like me, when I was a student, heaven sounded horrible. I used to hate when the pastor would talk about heaven because he talked about singing all the time and going to worship all the time. And I'm like, you tell me it's going to be like Sunday morning all the time. I'm looking for that to end every week. 
don't fret. Don't worry. It'll be much better than this worship service, I promise you. It'll be much better than any worship service we can be a part of in anything because we will be wrapped up in his splendor. Every single moment will be like that precious rain falling on that freshly mown grass because of his splendor, because of his glory that he allows us to be a part of. That is the answer. We talked about that at the very beginning. What is the answer? What is the answer to the problems that we face in this world? What is, what is the answer to trying to understand the human condition and everything that is happening? The answer, simply put, is Jesus. It's Jesus. He is our King. He is our Savior. He is our Messiah. He is our mediator. He alone is absolutely everything wrapped up in himself. He is everything we could ever need. And dear brother and sister, I hope you treat him as such. I hope you understand him as such. Don't search after other kings. Don't search after other satisfactions. They simply do not exist. I just got home from vacation. Can I tell you what? It didn't solve anything. It it didn't solve a single problem in my life. In fact, when I was gone, I kept getting texts of new problems that I had to deal with when I got home. It didn't solve it. He alone is worthy of our praise. He alone is the answer to the question. If you are without him, I hope that you will surrender your life to him because one day you will. One day you will. But I hope it's just not too late at that point. I hope that by faith you will trust in this king who actually can solve your problem. The other kings of this world will not solve your problem. Other people in this world will not solve your problem. But Jesus can solve your problem of sin, of death, of hell, and of the grave because he conquered it for you. And so I hope that you will trust him with your life if you have not. But for those of us who have, I hope we'll continue to worship him as he truly deserves. Let's bow, let's pray. God, we thank you for this word. God, I thank you that no matter where we go in scripture, Jesus is there. Some might try to fight that. Some might say different. But God, every step of the way, we see Jesus. And so God, I'm thankful for this prayer that David would pray. I'm thankful that Solomon would write it out. But God, I'm most thankful that Jesus has fulfilled it. God, we are needy. We are hopeless. We are hurting. And God, while that doesn't sound like good words to describe us, I know we don't like to think of ourselves that way. But God, I think deep down we all know that. We so easily can feel oppressed. We can so easily feel like the victim in situations where we're not. But God, because of sin, we are hopeless. And so God, I am thankful for that only begotten son, Jesus, who would come to this world, would live a perfect life, sinless, following your law completely. And God then would be nailed to that cross, bearing my sin and my shame and my guilt. God, I'm thankful that that wasn't the end of the story either. 
But three days later, he would rise from the grave, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And God, I'm thankful that right now, King Jesus is at the right hand of of you, sitting on the throne. And God, we do look forward to the day when his kingdom will come and reign here. And so God, we do pray as faithful Christians have prayed for centuries. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, help us to long for that. God, help us to long for your glory to be shown to all people. But God, until that day, I ask that you would help us to be faithful to continue to worship you. Help us to be faithful to continue to share the gospel message that you've given us with the lost and dying world to let them know there is hope and the hope is found in Jesus. So God, this morning, as we respond to your word, we're gonna sing a song and worship you. But God, as we worship you, I pray that we would reflect on your word, that we would respond to it how we should. God, there might be some people here this morning who need to trust in Christ with their life. To understand that truth, God, if if there are people here this morning who have questions, I, I pray that we'd be able to talk to them. But God, I pray that you would work and move in their heart and in their life. God, I pray for that Christian here this morning who has not been serving you as king as they should. God, help them to see, first of all, that you love them the same today as you do forever. But God, help them to see that they need to be obedient to you and that that is the best thing for them in their life. God, help us as we stray. So God, as we sing this song again, just help us to respond to your word how we should. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.